Hey, Midgardians, I'm Clay. And I'm Joe. Welcome to that Midgard show. This is a podcast where we talk about the Midgard campaign setting published by our friends at Cobalt Press. In this episode, we're going to talk about three more Zobek districts, the Collegium, the Gear District, and Lower Zobek, which in my opinion are some of the most interesting districts of Zobek. Yep, for sure. And many of our viewers and listeners are anxious for us to get to other parts of Midgard. And we totally hear you, but we want to spend a bit more time in Zobek because this is where Midgard all began. And it's where many new GMs and players start their adventures. So we're going to do two more episodes in Zobek and then move on. And at some point, we may come back to Zobek with a special guest to talk about how Zobek evolved over the various editions and maybe talk to some guilds and cults and other stuff like that. Yeah, so in this episode, we're going to skip our Adventurers Recap and Creature Showcase just to give a bit more time to wrapping up Zobek. So let's start off. Let's get into the Collegium, Joe. Yeah, for sure. So I love the Collegium. I think this is one of the one of the probably two favorite districts of mine in all of Zobek, along with the Gear District. The Collegium District has that real kind of college town feel to it, in my opinion. This is where the Arcane Collegium resides. It's one of the main magic schools of Midgard, an essential location to Zobek is. Besides this school, there is Temple of Lada. There is the Hedgehog Tavern. There is the uh, Brotherhood of the Alchemist. So there's a lot going on in this district. So we'll kick it off with probably the most important location in the district, which is the Arcane Collegium. And this is an interesting place. It's kind of a compound in Zobek. Uh, there's a few entrances to it. And if you look in uh, in the Zobek Gazetteer or the Clockwork City book, uh, some of these descriptions here compared to the map sometimes maybe don't match up perfectly. So don't lose your mind when you're, when you're reading these descriptions and it, it, you look at the map and like, that doesn't quite make sense. Sometimes you go back, you look at the old map from the Pathfinder days, and it might match up a little better, but just kind of go with it and, and make it work for your game. But there's there's two real entrances to the Arcane Collegium. There's one that comes out of Arcane Square, which a lot of the uh, the students and stuff will argue that it's actually more of uh, not quite a square, but a, um, what do you call it? The, the, the slant, like a slanted square. Trapezoid, yeah, trapezoid, thank you. It's more yeah. of a trapezoid. Or if you look at the new map, right? If you look at the, the fifth edition map, it's a circle on the map. So that's one of those like little inconsistencies. But it's not too far from the Hedgehog Tavern. There's also the Watergate uh, entrance, which is uh, like a dock and a set of stairs that kind of go up to, you know, from a pier. However, again, if you look at the map, you'll see they have the Watergate marked as going into the Cobalt uh, Ghetto. So do with that what you will. There, There is an entrance off of the river into the Collegium. The Collegium itself doesn't really admit many visitors. Most people are going to come there, either are working there, their students, or their people seeking some kind of help from the Collegium, be that some kind of arcane knowledge or something else. So generally, it's not like people just stroll in, you know, to the Collegium and walk around the grounds. It's not something that generally happens. So the Collegium itself, uh, like I said, is kind of a compound. Uh, there's a couple of uh, interior courtyards. It's actually protected by like gargoyles and clockwork traps. Uh, there's even some undead that are controlled by some of the masters of the Collegium that will help protect the grounds. Uh, and then as far as the way uh, it's kind of governed, there are several masters. The main one being Guildmaster uh, Clockwork Mage Orlando, 
who we talked about in the past when we talked about the city's uh, councils themselves, as he is also kind of sits on that. And he was the one who we said uh, was kind of involved with a mistress from another country that some people don't quite trust. Uh, and he's been somewhat distracted in his duties as of late. The others that also run the show there are a master necromancer named Conrad von Eberfeld. There is a master illusionist named Aurelia Scarpati, a master diviner named Rudwin Whitestone. And then there are the position of the master summoner and the master of stars and shadows that's vacant right now. They were previously held by Lenana Thorne and Sorel of Morgal. And Mistress Thorne was actually recently murdered and Master Sorrel retired to the mountains. So those positions as of now are, are left vacant. So you can always use that. Maybe if, uh, if you're playing at a higher level, somebody's seeking to kind of get, gain one of those positions in your party, you can always do something like that with it. Then the Collegium itself has about two dozen apprentices studying there under the masters. There's also, uh, that includes those, those students consist of kobolds, tieflings, dwarves, humans. Uh, and then you have a staff of about 40, including alchemists, scribes, maids, cooks, chamberlains, language tutors, uh, arcane tutors, clock workers, uh, even uh, a priest of the gear goddess. So there is a lot kind of going on there, a lot of people involved uh, all there. So the Collegium itself is a super cool place. If you have a wizard or a sorcerer in the party, they may be seeking to go there, maybe get tutored there, things like that. There's a lot you can really do with an arcane school in your games. And the Collegium, funny enough, there are, there are several schools in Midgard. The Collegium is kind of considered one of the stranger ones. It's not your typical school. They, they deal with some of the stranger magics and things like that. I know in my group, we have somebody who is more focused in ley lines and ley magic, and that's not something they really touch much on at the Arcane Collegium, but he's going to go there and check it out anyways. But just kind of keep in mind that this is a school uh, in Zobek, the Clockwork City and Clockwork Magic there is very prominent. So if you are interested in that Clockwork Magic, this is the school for them to go to. But yeah, I, yeah. I think it's a kind of a cool place. I don't, have you used it much in your games at all, Clay? Yeah, um, always try to get them get the players into the Collegium as much as I can. Like you mentioned earlier, it is not easy to get it. You've got to have a reason to be there. So you either got to sneak in or uh, figure out a clever way to uh, get past the guards. Because there yeah. are enchantments all over the place. Everything is trapped. Even the steam gate, which is uh, leads up from the river, it's slippery stairs, traps yep. all throughout, and uh, and also the the school is not super big. You know, there's a small a, a small population of students, and an even smaller population of of faculty. So it, it's it's manageable. It's not like Hogwarts, although yeah. there's no reason why you can't make it as big as Ho Hogwarts. You know, it's a it's a school of magic could be bigger on the inside it's who doctor who <laughs> yeah doctor who but yeah. but it, it, it's very manageable and it's very uh tough to get in right. i um used it in a couple of campaigns to offer the pcs uh, a means to glean additional information so in the case of courts of the shadow fay uh they had to figure out a way to uh get to his shadow roads at the time the uh, Master of Sh uh, Stars and Shadows was there, you know, Sariel. 
and I used him as a way for for the PCs to get information on on, on right. how to access a, a, a door. A lot of knobs you can turn and levers you can pull. Yeah. Um, this is this is a, not a lot's written. This is a great place uh, that you can make your own. You can make it bigger or smaller. Um, last uh, episode, I talked about a new wizard uh, who joined the faculty with his his uh, shark bowl ooze, you know, yeah. as, a, as, <laughs> as 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 a tank in there, you know. So it's also yep. uh, it's also featured in uh, some of the uh, Pathfinder adventures around uh, searching for yeah. the Strauss Library. There was a member of the Collegium who disappeared, and the PCs were hired to to try to find uh, find out what happened to that person. So, so it's 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 your opportunity to do what you, what you will. Yeah, there's uh, an adventure in the Clockwork Book too that was originally published in a uh, Warlock layer called Death of a Mage. Uh, that could be another kind of foot in the door to to get in there. Kind of it starts off in the Hedgehog Tavern, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, you do some help for some uh, mages there, and that could be your foot in the door to to get into the Collegium and, you know, make some friends there, get some help there. So there's a lot there's a lot of, you know, content, I feel, that's out there around the Collegium itself. So well worth checking into and definitely putting into your games if magic is something you're looking to explore more of. What else is in the Collegium? Like, uh, um, there's a great bookstore. Yeah, every college town has their bookstores. And uh, Zobek is uh, no different. Tucked in the alley just uh, around the bend of a curving street is a bookshop called The Book Fetish. Now, the name is a double entendre, and I will get to that in uh, just a minute. This bookshop caters to a scholarly and refined crowd. The shop is surprisingly roomy. Bookshelves are crammed full of books. There's Tables and chairs that fill the center of the room. You can probably put in a coffee bar uh, if you want. There's a horseshoe-shaped uh, counter uh, with glass-fronted cupboards uh, that sits uh, just to the right of the door. And it's always tended by a, a young woman. And the fetish does keep uh, slightly irregular hours, but it usually opens up around mid-morning. Still probably too early for many students. And they stayed open late as a place to hang out. The customers see it simply as a cozy shop that often stocks the right items, but perhaps charges too much. But a closer examination of the stock and the staff begins to reveal the secret of the fetish's popularity. And this is kind of where I get into the double entendre. The shop is a front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shop (laughs) is a front. It is a proverbial adult bookstore that has a special counter furthest from the door, tucked close to a wall, and it shelves are full of various herbs and objects for the bedroom. There's always a polite female staff occasionally there to uh, help you find that special item. Thing- they sell blue pills. Yeah. <laughs> now, one thing... <laughs> Oh, that's a good, that's a great blooper. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So they do, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Eavesdropping among the customers, uh, does reveal some careful, perhaps coded conversations. And if you try to question the staff, they of course will reveal to you nothing and give you a very 
polite smile unless you use the correct phrase. And that phrase is whatever you want it to be. But uh, <laughs> the book fetish actually is. Yeah, yeah. The book fetish <laughs> actually is a quality bookshop, but it also serves as the front for the temple of painful pleasures. Many of the customers, although by no means most, frequent the shop for its large selection of erotic literature, as well as to pay their 11 gold pieces to obtain a platinum headsman coin that serves as their entry fee to the temple located in the alley just behind the shop. Most of these customers and the watch have no idea that the Temple of Painful Pleasures isn't just a high-end brothel, but it also is actually a real temple dedicated to Marina the Red. And that is the uh, favored god, goddess of the uh, Duchy of Morgau. Those that have paid their 11 gold pieces don't suspect that one of the gold pieces of their entrance fees goes for supporting prescribed cult and their pleasurable activities serve as rites to the red God goddess. So the Temple of Painful Pleasures is run by a priestess of Marina named Nerys Laragorn. So to get into the temple, you have to descend some stairs uh, that uh, leads uh, to some double doors. And standing in front of those doors is a big brawny Northman in breastplate who will open the door to anyone knocking and he holds out his hand. Now, that's where the uh, headsman's coins come in because that's your entrance fee. And he expects you to place that coin perfectly in his hand with the uh, axe facing up. And if you don't, you put some other coins in his hand or you put the uh, platinum headsman coin in the hand, but not uh, properly. He'll take them, close the door, and you don't get access to the uh, temple. Now, should you get past the entrance, it leads directly to the disrobing room and then into the sanctuary proper where the temple's guests and acolytes engage in the pleasurable activities uh, while uh, Nerys and the bard Jazel watch from a rotating dais. So patrons may also purchase torture sessions as desired. This uh, location features prominently in a adventure of the book called Flush Fails. This is one adventure yep. that you have to be very careful with. Another thing to note about the temple, uh, there is in the clockwork book, there's a list of like their rules and like the things you can do, can't do, costs, stuff like that. So there's this whole sheet, like, you know, list that you can kind of go through. And I, I can't remember if they say it's posted somewhere in the temple or not. But, you know, you don't want to be breaking those rules. But this it, it's a neat place. I mean, obviously, it, it we, we're, we're delving into some X-Card area here for certain uh, parties. Probably not my party. They'd probably be all about it. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's definitely something um, something a little different that you don't, you're not going to find in, in your average uh, D&D book. So when I read about this, I was like, what? <laughs> this yeah. is in Zobek? I was, I was and, blown uh, away. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, like I said, it's, we're, if you're, if you're listening to us and not watching us, we're blushing a little talking about this, but it is, it, it's funny and it's cool. And I know, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are all about using this in your game. So this is a great opportunity to, uh, step up that factor of your game if you're looking for it. Yeah, I'm no prude. Um, there's a lot <laughs> of great content, you know, that you can, uh, use as, as part of the book fetish and the temple of painful pleasures. 
In fact, uh, one of my PCs, their backstory is, is that they uh, are business partners with uh, Norris uh, in the book fetish and uh, the Temple of Painful Pleasures because his god is is uh, is Marina. And uh, yeah. so it, it just made sense to uh, to uh, work it in, you know, because he uh, acquired the Silk Scabbard, which uh, we've talked about in previous episodes is one of Zobek's uh, most prominent brothels. And uh, so I just said, have at it, have fun with it, incorporate it into your backstory. Yeah. At the very least, it's a great way to either punish or reward the horny bard of your party. Sure. And it's also a great way to get uh, the armor off of your PCs and, and uh, the backpacks from, <laughs> a, from, a, from off their backs. I am convinced that many of my PCs sleep in their backpack. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Right? Yeah. It's sleeping in my armor. <laughs> So yeah, so that's 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 an interesting part of the uh of the collegium district for sure. Uh it is um I guess the right place I, I would almost think that this place should have been located in like the you know, the upper district or something like where all the nobles live. The fact that it's next to the school is kind of funny. There <laughs> there is another uh important or a couple other important places in the collegium district. But uh one of uh I think that that's probably gonna play a central role if you're gonna be there is the Hedgehog Tavern, because this yeah. is kind of the unofficial tavern of the school. This is where all the, the students and even the, the professors and stuff like that hang out, have their drinks. It's located just off Arcane Square, that trapezoid square circle location on the map. It's generally kind of a neat place because you watch, like, you know, when you watch Harry Potter, you see, like, the magical broom sweeping and stuff. That's going on here. Magic keeps the hedgehog clean. You know, there's unseen servants that uh, pretty much make up the entire wait staff. Its owner is actually this retired mage named Radimir Sh uh, Schlink. He is actually uh, an outcast from the Collegium. Um, that uh, he's kind of like befriended many of the apprentices and some of the masters, but his crime was uh, diabolism and he hasn't exactly been forgiven for that. So he is kind of banned from the collegium itself from the, from the school, but you know, he's friendly with enough people. And this is a great place to start your adventures based around the, uh, the school itself. And this, I mentioned uh, death of the major earlier. This is the tavern where that begins. So, I think the hedgehog is a is a great place to to put your party and get them that that foot in the door. They can meet somebody there, do something for somebody there. That's going to get their foot in the door into the collegium itself. And use Radomir as a kind of a father figure. I used him in a couple okay. of games, and I played him as a father figure. You know, wanting to uh, set the students on the right path and uh, young adventurers who are just starting out uh, on the right path as well. So, so he he's a fun guy to. Uh, to play. Yeah, I kind of thought of him as Dumbledore's brother, right? <laughs> in, the, in the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. yeah. So uh, nice enough guy with a, a sordid past, but, you know, um, not a bad person. Aside from the tavern and the school, the other kind of main centerpiece of the district is actually uh, a temple. It's the Temple of the Celestial Dawn which is sometimes referred to as the Moon Temple, but this is dedicated to Lada, the goddess of goodness, essentially. She is uh, basically the healing goddess. If you, have, if you have a life domain cleric in the group, this is good chance that she is the, their, their deity. She has other masks, you know, in, in different parts of the world, but she is, uh, she's your typical healing goddess. The building itself is actually pink stone. And it actually glows in the early morning light, which is kind of neat. 
the temple itself, uh, the priests use their healing powers for anyone who asks, not just people who pay. So it's a popular place, though people who can pay will to support them and whatnot. But even even the poor wretched can go there for healing or even just a, a you know a, a poultice or something to help ease pain or things like that. So each morning there's just this line of petitioners that stretches down the street leading to the temple. And uh, as soon as dawn breaks, the temple doors open and people can proceed in to, you know, for their healing and things like that. There's like kind of this uh, aroma of incense and beeswax candles, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then the, the interior of the temple really lives up to the goddess's name. For, uh, it's gold kind of covers all its statues and most of its pillars. Uh, though some people say that uh, the statues are solid gold. Others say that, you know, they're just wood statues with illusions made them to look like gold and things like that. But this temple is actually... Uh, one of the holiest sites in Zobek because a lot of the avatar has actually appeared here on several occasions in the past. Um, so a lot of people really favor this. I would s probably go on to say that she is probably the second most popular goddess in the city outside of Rava, the gear goddess. And there's actually two temples for, for Lada in the city. The other being located in the the temple district itself, which I believe is the main one, though mm. their high priestess, I believe, generally resides at this one in, in the Collegium district. It's kind of her favorite spot. So the high priestess of the order actually, you know, is located in Zobek, generally in this temple. So I'm planning on using this place pretty heavily in my game. Uh, my wife's uh, cleric is dedicated to the northern version of Lada, uh, in my version of Midgard, it's actually the same god slash goddess in where she is uh, in the north. It's not as popular a god, and they sent her here to seek help from uh, their sister religion, sister priesthood, to help them build their temple bigger in the north. So she actually has to go see the high priestess and kind of uh, um, I'm gonna you know send her out on some kind of quest from there and you know, whatnot, because uh, if I remember correctly, priests and, and clerics of Lada generally have to go on some kind of holy mission, holy quest. So that's going to be required of her before they'll help her out. So really cool place, though. This is like just this really unique, like you see all this kind of stucco and yellow and brown buildings in the Collegium District. And then there's just this pink and gold building uh, that's just standing there in the corner that just stands out and super, super cool. Like I said, I, a lot of people like to play uh, life domain clerics. So this is this is your place. This is your goddess. A uh, lot, lot is the the god in Midgard for this, the main one, anyways. Yeah, and there's no reason why she can't make an appearance in your own adventures. I think there's one other location we're talking yeah. about in the Collegium District, right? Yeah, it's the Vigilant Brotherhood of Scribes. If you want some sort of analog, you know, here's your nerds. The Vigilant Brotherhood is a place of careful thought where every word set down must be checked and corrected. Its members serve not only as the keepers of memory and history, but they also are the city's unofficial accountants, making the guild enormously powerful. The scribes there report earnings, losses, and taxes to the Lord Mayor through his Praetorian Council. Uh, they copy out all reports from visiting merchants, compile information from every visitor, and negotiate every bill of laden and sale. They could also have a lot of information about your adventuring party as well. Totally up to you. But the interesting part of these guys is they serve as part of Zobek's secret police. They know the questionable folk, what people sell to the pawnbrokers, 
and uh, also what they sell to the fences and the docks, uh, what neighbors really think about one another, and so forth. Uh, yet they are the most modest of folks. They have ink-stained fingers, uh, simply cropped hair, and shoulders hunched from long hours at a writing desk or a standing desk. So interesting group group of guys. You know, who would know that a group of accountants also serve as spies for the <laughs> secret police? Yeah, I mean, th we talked about the Blue House previously, right? So when we talk about the, the secret police, it all connects back to the Blue House. Uh, so the, these are definitely people who uh, are on that payroll uh, and are, are, you know, yeah, they're doing important work. Uh, they're keeping the books. They're the bu bureaucrats, but they're also passing on information to the Blue House. So uh, keep that in mind when your players use them or encounter them. Uh, there's always an ulterior motive there. Yeah. So we're going to end uh, our uh, talk on the Collegium District with Winter's Kiss, which is the Embassy of the Shadowfang. Now, I love this embassy. But what I especially love doing is moving it all over the place in, in Zobek, you know, <laughs> never in the same place twice. Now, officially in the lore, Winter's Kiss can be currently found at the court uh, called Alchemist Folly, which is located in the Zobek uh, Collegium District. So Winter's Kiss can currently be found at the court called Alchemist Folly in Zobek's Collegium. His Excellency, the Winter Court Ambassador in Extraordinary of the Shadow Realm, is Glenninen Felmandrine. He moved uh, Winter's Kiss here after he grew bored with his previous location in the Temple of Volan, or more specifically, within the Shrine of Ninkash. Uh, Winter's Kiss remained undetected for many long decades, but it's now visible and, and available to the public even if it occasionally drifts up or down a few streets uh, within the area. Now, the Shadowfay ambassador has invited most of the gentlefolk of Zobek to dine and discuss matters of interest, especially as it pertains uh, to the looming succession to the West in the Grand Duchy, and also with respect to forming a wider alliance against the Dragon Empire to the Southeast. So far, Zobek's counselors and military leaders have not decided on any such alliance, but the Shadow Fae are known for their deep and fathomless patience. They measure time in centuries, you know, not months or years. Now, this ambassador features prominently in Courts of the Shadow Fae. I used him uh, heavily to uh, kind of be the bad guy. He came to the council meeting announced in front of the Lord Mayor and all of the councillors that he is here at the behest of the king, uh, who was ruling at that time, that he's going to repossess Zobek and all of the lands around it because of the dis disposition of the uh, Strauss family. So have fun with this. Move that embassy around. Use him as a hook to uh, help your players find a way to get to the shadow uh, court. There's a lot of connections as we kind of talk about these different places in Zilbeck, you'll start to kind of pick up on these different uh, themes and connections between different places. So make sure you kind of uh, uh, use some of that. You know, you can use one location to get to another or to meet somebody from another, things like that. I haven't really dove much into, I, I don't know the Shadow Fae as well as you do. You run Courts of the Shadow Fae. I haven't. I feel like I need to, at the very least, read through the book because 
I want to know more about it. And I feel like that's like the sort, there's so much good stuff in there. We do have the book of Evan Tides now that's got a lot of info on it, but um, you know, Zobek's got so much deep connection to the shadow, uh, the realm of shadows that, you know, these, these types of places can spawn off a lot of cool stuff. Well, I'm going to play with it too, because as I said, one of my players spent uh, many, many years stuck in the, the realm of shadows. So he's going to have a connection there and I definitely need to, um, to play with those types of things. Yeah. Now, one thing I will say is I wish I had the Book of Ebon Tides uh, when I was running uh, Courts of the Shadow Fae. There's a lot of great information in there that uh, can help fuel your game. Courts of the Shadow Fae is a, is a sandbox adventure. It is just bits and pieces that you put together with your own material uh, into a campaign. So definitely, if you're going to run Courts of the Shadow Fae, do pick up a copy of Book of Ebon Tides because it'll make your uh, game uh, that much better and save you on a lot of prep as well. We'll have to do a, a few episodes. I'm sure we can, it's going to be more than one episode uh, on the, the realm of shadows at some point and oh, yeah. kind of pick up the book of uh, Ebon Tides and, and run through some of that with everybody because man, there's some good content there. <laughs> yeah. So we're in Zobek, the clockwork city, and we're finally getting to the gear district, Joe. Yes. I have this, this, this district screams Zobek more than anything else that we've talked about, in my opinion. I mean, it is, it, it's the heart of Zobek. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, not a lot written on it, but there's just enough uh, to uh, get the, uh, the gears turning in your head, uh, pun intended. <laughs> um, the gear pun district intended. lies on the city's Western edge near the Dwarven gate and is a region of tin and brass merchants, gear grinders, and gear forge repair shops. Here, one sees the greatest concentration of the city's gear forge and the best dwarven clockwork mages and engineers who there create wondrous things out of iron, brass, and, and other metals. The entire region revolves around the Steamworkers Guild Hall and the Gear Grinders Emporium, two structures built at enormous expense, and they uh, are constructed using uh, fairly modern techniques where they use iron uh, for their uh, support rather than, you know, big uh, uh, wood timbers. And mm -hmm. there you can get all sorts of uh, trinkets, you know, tin toys, sharp knives, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff, so, you know, very high quality. But the greatest prizes uh, offered in the gear district are gear forge bodies, which are given life each month through the combined efforts of mages, gear grinders, Clockwork, clockworker kobolds and dwarven engineers, and all at a phenomenal expense. So if you've got a player that wants to be a gear forge, it's going to cost them, and it's going to cost them a lot. Yeah. But despite the cost, yeah. uh, there is a one new clockwork wa watchman that emerges each month. And uh, some believe that the free city is slowly building an army of loyal gear forge soldiers. Um, Joe talked about in previous episodes how uh, some criminals have been given the choice of the axe or uh, becoming a gear forge and committing uh, their service to uh, the city. Now there's a bit of a difference too. When we talk about the clockwork watchman too. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of lay down that the there's the clockwork watchman and then there's the gear forged and the gear forged mm -hmm. have life. They're, they're a human or a dwarf or a kobold that have been transferred. Essentially their soul has been transferred into these metal bodies where the watchmen were more of a, they, they were not given uh they weren't a normal life uh it's almost like they they've 
put this elemental life into them. Uh, and they're more almost like uh, autonomous, right? That mm -hmm. uh, just kind of serve. But there's like this whole movement in the city. I, I believe we talked about this in the past. There's a whole movement in the city to kind of free them because they can learn and they can gain a personality and learn to be free. So there is a, a whole thread there. But the, the Gearforged Watchmen and your your typical Gearforged player are not exactly the same thing. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Now there's there's one option where you can uh, uh, get some private funding uh, to become a right. Gearforged. However, the cost of it is to uh, pay off the debt through a service to a wealthy family, temple, or guild, uh, so you can cover the costs of your uh, a new body, which you know essentially lasts forever. So from time to time, you'll see dwarven mule trains from the Iron Crags bring in shipments of iron and unusual alloys, uh, jewels for precision gearing, and offerings for the Temple of Voland. Um, his shrine is is in that in that district, and it uh, clearly shows a dwarven influence. Uh, there's an ever-burning altar and anvil that stand before his statue. And uh, the Dwarven acolytes often call his name in Dwarvish as they tap out a rhythm of his hymns and songs of praise. So this is the area where a lot of the mechanical uh, stuff is created. I used it in one adventure as uh, where uh, a group of dwarves were creating a clockwork dragon. You know, the one with multiple heads. Again, I talk about Courts of the Shadowfay a lot, but, you know, I, I went to town uh, with that adventure. When uh, the ambassador came to repossess the, the crossroads, this was a secret project of the mayor to uh, have some sort of weapon of mass destruction uh, in their back pocket, uh, just in case uh, the Dragon Empire uh, came knocking at the door. The Lord Mayor, she was uh, fully ready to uh, send this uh, multi-headed clockwork dragon to the Shadow Realm to uh, lay waste or use it as a uh, protection uh, in case of an invasion as well. That'd be so cool. I want to see that. I just want to see like an invading army just get laid waste by a three-headed clockwork dragon. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, it was It was a fun fun uh, encounter. The gear district is, is definitely the, the heart of the city. Uh, it, you know, it's the gear city. So there's a lot kind of going on there. And you, you mentioned the two kind of main groups mm -hmm. uh, that make it up. The Steamworkers Guild Hall and the uh, Gear Grinders Emporium. And I think the Gear Grinders Emporium maybe is one that we should touch on first because it's kind of, it, it, they're the ones who kind of run and create all the gears that run the city's clocks and the devices, all those small intricate wheels and balance arms, all that cool stuff, right? The cogs, you know, we talk about the uh, the puffing bridge, the jaw bridge, right? That's all, That that's the Gear Grinders Emporium that does all that. So mm -hmm. uh, very, very uh, important group in the city. Uh, unlike the masters of the uh, the Order of the Arms and the Armory, who more concern themselves with like, uh, you know, the attack and defense and stuff like that, the Steamworkers Union concerns itself with motion and motive powers. They concern themselves with the, the tiny details, mechanical forms and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it's, you know, the, we talk about the, the, the Strauss clock tower, things like that. These are the guys who, who do that stuff. Um, they build and repair memory gears, uh, command plates, low light amplifiers, 
uh, similar fragile and complex devices. And if you remember, the memory gears are the things that, you know, kind of go in the gear forge. And uh, that's where the, the personality, the, the soul of the person, so to speak, resides in the gear forged. Um, so these uh, elements almost always go to the steam workers in like a sealed brass cylinder or spheres or cases to kind of protect their secrets. So that could be a, a little something there where one of these cylinders or cases gets stolen or maybe the group is paid to steal it or something like that, right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, play, into, play up the, the heist kind of scenario there with that. There's also an interesting part of this is kobolds actually compose about a third of this guild. The guild really values them, right? Uh, their their vision, their nimble claws. Their guild master is actually this pale kobold named Krikok White. Uh, I think is how you say his name. Is that right, Krikok? Yeah. So he's actually so they're actually led by a kobold right now, uh, and he's like this. Like I said, this pale kobold. He's old. He's got uh, one living eye and one made of this fused and enchanted uh, glass lens, which some say they could see spirits and auras or even uh, the intentions of those uh, who visit him. So I kind of picture it like uh, if you ever play with a Ouija board, you're supposed to be able to look through that little glass thing and see spirits and auras. Well, that, that's his eye is the, the Ouija board piece. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he's, he's a neat character, though. I, I just like... I, when I looked at this, I was like, man, I'm surprised. I, I first thing I thought was, oh, a dwarf is going to lead this guild. Uh, but no, a kobold of all, you know, and, and the fact that there's dwarves and humans that are a big part of this guild uh, following a kobold is a very unique feature in Zobek. The big theme is here, never sell a, a kobold short. Don't take yep. the kobolds for granted. They are super smart and they are just as skilled as in, in the forge as any dwarf can be. I would say it's kind of one big half of our gear district. The other is the Steamworkers Guild Hall. So why don't you tell us a bit about that one? Yeah, the Steamworkers Guild Hall is the most powerful of the mechanical guilds. Uh, they are the group that creates the Everwan Springs, a hydraulic jo joints, and the boilers that give all constructs local motion. Its members also build the Gearforge workers and scullions. And they are a strangely pious group, uh, universally devoted to Rava. And they count many dwarves among their ranks. So here's kind of the yin and the yang. You got the kobolds, and then you've got the uh, dwarves of this guild. Now, there's old rumors that the guild originated as the Hammerfall clan. And their patriarch is still often a dwarf. The guild also has close ties with planar guardians of law, who sometimes visit to assist in animating a gear forge or to offer advice of making stronger, faster, wiser, and more durable creations. A few members of the guild claim that uh, the worship of Rava itself came to Zobek with these guardians from Ravitet, uh, the plane of rusty gear gears. Now, the steam workers are one of the few guilds that accept both dwarves and kobolds as full members. Their guild hall is a workshop that rings with hammers and burns with hissing steam at all hours. Humans tend the forges during the day, kobolds by night, and dwarves at all hours. So think of this as your uh, uh, Wonka chocolate factory. You know, incredible things go on <laughs> inside, and uh, this is where a lot of the, uh, 
the heavy lifting is done. Yeah, the the Steelworkers Guild Hall is just like I said, it's 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 the second half of this district. Uh, the, the, these two places really make it up, and uh, these guys are no exception to the the quality of the work. Uh, they're intricate in creating the gear forge. Uh, they're intricate in in all aspects of the city's mechanics. So uh, definitely a worthwhile place, I think, for just players to visit in general, especially, you know, if you have a Dwarven player or something like that, this would be a cool place to to stop off and check out. And one thing I always like to throw out to people, too, uh, is don't forget in Zobek, the dwarves here are a different breed of dwarf. It's almost as if they're their own uh, uh, subspecies of dwarf. They're not. They're, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm pretty sure they're hill dwarves by, um, you know, game mechanic standards, but their personalities and their way of life is so different. Uh, so when you're in the gear district, I would highly recommend playing that up. You know, just the fact that you're going to see these dwarves and kobolds working side by side might blow some dwarf from the north out of the water. It would just boggle their mind. Uh, then to see all the rings and stuff like that in their beards and things like that, uh, it, you know, it's going to be a very unique experience. And the, a good chunk of the dwarven population resides in the gear district to begin with. Um, so, you know, Steam Workers Guild and, uh, you know, the um, the Gear Grinders Emporium are both, you know, just huge places to check off your list. Yeah. Yeah, this was the location of my Clockwork Dragon encounter in, uh, in Courts of the Shadowfit. <laughs> I really played it up as just kind of a fun, intriguing place uh, to be. Now, you talked about yeah. the differences between the Dwarves of Zobek versus the, the uh, Dwarves of the Iron Crags or the Northlands. So if you think of uh, yep. those dwarves as, uh, you know, Vikings slash Klingons, the dwarves of Zobek would be more like the Vulcans of, you know, to, to kind of use a, uh, a a different comparison. You know, they're very analytical. I, I never thought of a Star Trek yeah. uh, analogy for this, but that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. They, they are, they, the dwarves here are very analytical, uh, very scholarly. Um, more interested in figuring out how things work. So that's how I kind of think of them. That's how I've tried to, yeah. I didn't describe them like that in my games, but, you know, that's kind of how I played them as a very yeah. uh, logical and uh, more academic uh, uh, dwarves than your, your, your typical, I want to, you know, butt heads and drink lots of meat type dwarf. I feel, I feel like the kobolds are still the Ferengi though. <laughs> 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 that's a good sense. one that's a good one and and, and guys sorry <laughs> as a guess, sorry for for all the star trek analogies but uh you know this this is kind of the i've been watching the, a lot of picard lately yeah oh great series <laughs> that's another show the kobolds the are very interesting creatures as well as the zobek versions of of dwarfs so play it up yeah have fun with it you know it's a great way to surprise your your players yeah I kind of wanted to actually lay down the whole Vulcan dwarf thing now and just be like, just start talking logic as a dwarf. Yeah. That would be so funny. Yeah, instead, so, you know, talk about mechanical engineering. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So all these genius dwarves and kobolds and whatnot and Gearforge need a place to hang out after work, right? right? And there is a popular tavern in the Gear District called the Greyfriar Tavern. This is an, an interesting place. Now, if you are the kind of person who wants bad beer and worse food, 
this is your place <laughs> because <laughs> this place is actually run by a uh, by a Gearforge. And he's got a couple other Gearforge on staff as well as a few students from the Collegium. And they they run this place. And the place is it's located right near the Temple District, like right on the border of the Gearish and the Temple District. Uh, and it's extremely popular with followers of the Gear Goddess. It's a, a tavern and a restaurant. Again, we talked about how scholarly the, the dwarves and stuff are. That's the kind of clientele that, that comes here is these highly intelligent people. It actually has a scribe and a gear kobold on staff to handle communications and repairs. The owner, Arbo Star, he, uh, is one of the, the few gear forged who seem to have uh, this deep love of learning. And he's a, such a cool character because he's got a like, photographic memory. He claims to remember the entire contents of every conversation, or sorry, she has, claims to remember the contents of every conversation she ever has had, every book she's ever read, every face she's ever seen. So she's got this great depth of detail that she, she can recall. So uh, if you ever do question her, she's gonna remember like everything about every event. People have tried to kind of call her out on stuff and they, they never can. She remembers everything. She literally remembers it all. Uh, she has this eye for nuance. Uh, and even the watch will consult with her on inquiries about travelers and other stuff like that. I would have to imagine that even the blue house would have to frequent with her and talk to her because of her just literally, for lack of a better term, a mind like a steel trap <laughs> because she's getting <laughs> So, uh, but, you know, like I said earlier, uh, one thing to keep in mind, uh, and I'm going to quote this from the book, the food is terrible, but cheap, and the beer is average and also cheap. So cheap food, not good. Uh, okay beer, and also cheap. So uh, not a bad place to go. Uh, the and One thing to note there is that the priests of Rava do bless the tavern and its patrons each day at noon. So if you happen to be there at midday, these priests of Rava will come in and do a blessing and all that stuff. Uh, which is, you know, again, another reason that the followers of Rava like to frequent this place as well. So uh, they they have their niche in in the city, despite the the bad food. Cool place, though. Like I said, it just I love how many like we've talked about a lot of taverns in Zobak over these past several episodes, and each one really does have its own unique uh, thing about it. You know, and this one's no exception. So I yeah. like this one. This. Just the idea of a gear, a gear forge. I could just see this gear forge woman behind the bar, polishing, you know, and just, you know, talking and recalling just every detail about a story. I would almost think that when she tells a story, she's like, you know, goes into too much detail about it. And people are like, all right, get to the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe when you, you sit down and, and you're playing a non gear forge, you know, maybe as a joke, uh, Aberstar uh, puts a mug of oil in front of you or something like that, you know. Oh, but God. Yeah, but I figure the food is is terrible because the chef is also a gear forge who can't taste their food. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. so I, I, it's like that droid bar in, in the Mandalorian episode a couple weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> precisely. That that's a great, great, great way to put it. You know, but, See, we're going uh, Star Trek and Star Wars, everybody. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> you get it all here. You get uh, medieval fantasy uh, coupled with uh, sci-fi. So, you know, there, yeah. there it is. But, yeah, Joe's right. Um, all of the taverns uh, in, in Zobek are unique in their own way. Uh, they're, they're not monolithic. This is just, you know, more tools in your, your toolbox. Uh, that sort of tavern, you can take and pick that up and lift it and stick it anywhere you want. 
And same with, you know, many of the other establishments in, in Zobac. Don't, don't think they are, are only to be used in Zobac. You know, you can just pick them out. You can change their names and, and do, do uh, with them as you choose. So yeah. if, if anything, the, the book Zobac Clockwork City is kind of a place for you to just kind of, again, strip it for parts, make it your own, and uh, use it in any of your other adventures. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be in Midgard. I mean, Zobac, I can see, I always picture Zobac, uh, and I love the book itself because it's, I feel like it's a location you could pick up and drop into your own fantasy world if you really wanted to. And that's part of the reason we're spending so much time talking about Zobac because it's its, it's, its own setting, right? I mean, it, it is a sandbox unto itself. I feel like if you really wanted to, you could run, you know, 20 levels uh, in this city and never have to leave it. I mean, there's so much content, so much to do. Uh, in Zobek. So um, that's why we're giving it a good amount of time because it, it, it deserves it. It's worth it. And like I said, even if you're not going to play Midgard, Zobek is a place you can pop into your own world. Yeah. And, you know, Joe brings up a very interesting point. Everything that Cobalt Press publishes is technically setting agnostic. You know, they may be located in, in Zobek, but uh, uh, Wolfgang and, and, the, and, you know, all of his designers encourage you to uh, work this content into anywhere that you adventure. All right. Well, why don't we wrap up uh, this episode with uh, a tour of Lower Zobek? It's also called Ashmel. Yes. And I personally think that this is one of the coolest locations. And you'll find out in just a minute. So this district is kind of where the more economically challenged uh, residents of Zobek live. Quite frankly, the poor and common citizens live in uh, Lower Zobek uh, just to try to make their way. Many who live in Lower Zobek are unskilled worker in the fields or forest, charcoal burners, and dock workers. The district is lively with plenty of rivalries between various streets and families, and few of its troubles reach the eyes and ears of the Citadel or the other consuls. Um, the most notable element of Lower Zobek is the emphasis on the green goddess and her spheres. The brewer's sisterhood and numerous bakers, livery stables, and butchers all surround the district, and many consider it the city's pantry. It is a place known for automatons and diabolism. Uh, it is also a district of human needs and hunger, and perhaps it is no surprise that the cults of Marina also spring up uh, in the district from time to time. So this again is where you yep. can use uh, society or the wrongs of society as an antagonist in your, your adventures. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, this is the area of Zobek that's where the commoners are going to live. Um, you know, I, I'd imagine your players are definitely going to pass through this area, maybe be helping somebody from this area, be after somebody in this area. If the gear district was the heart of the city, this is kind of, the soul of the city, because it's where the majority of, of the people really live. You know, yeah, sure, there's the rich people and there's the mages and there's the, the temples and the, the government, but the people uh, make up the city. And this is where most of them reside. Uh, and there are some interesting locations here. It's not just a bunch of homes and dwellings. Uh, there, are, there are places to see and visit here for your party. And, you know, I was just thinking about it as we were kind of coming into this uh, to, to Lower Zobat to talk about it, one place that's been missing off of the list of, of things that a party wants to go to in a city is a magic shop. 
And there is sort of a magic shop in Lower Zobek. Yeah. It's called the Black Lotus. And uh, it's found over near the border of the market district in the river. And it's kind of this plain storefront marked with this black half-timbered style. It's a two-story building with this kind of simple wooden door next to a street-facing window on which the Black Lotus is printed in both common and draconic, uh, and the character of the owner's uh, native language. So it has these alchemically reinforced windows, uh, which kind of like look into the, the shop. And it's kind of this curiosity shop as well, right? It's got these just neat, weird things. And people come here to just buy these trinkets, uh, curious, uh, like, you know, and curi uh, curious items from afar and kind of stuff like that. But uh, that's not what the shop has a reputation for. Uh, those looking for magical assistance of any kind can find it here with just no questions asked, so long as they can meet the price of the painted man. If you're looking to get an item identified or something like that, this could be a place to go. Uh, if you're looking for just some kind of strange item, this is a great place uh, to go and check out. And it's just, just kind of, I, I like that they describe it as a curiosity shop. One thing that I kind of want to do with this is, uh, you know, the, the list of common items, like common magical items, things like mm -hmm. the cloak of billowing and stuff like that. This is a great place for those type of items. Uh, if you, you know, if you got those low level characters that just kind of want something cool, they don't have a lot of money. This could be a great place to set common, maybe a one or two uncommon items in there. Uh, this is your shop. Like you can do some really cool stuff. There's uh, isn't there some kind of like weird haunted voodoo doll magic item. That's like this creepy girl doll or something like that. Like put one of those here. This is the place for that item. Like. There's some cool stuff. There's the Vault of Magic that Cobalt Press came out with, all those magic items. Look through there, man. You could throw some cool stuff from that book in the shop. Now, and in the Clockwork City book, they actually have a map of uh, this entire shop uh, broken out by room with details in every room from the storeroom to the sitting room, the bedroom, all that stuff. We don't need to, like, go into all that detail here, but uh, there is a full-on map and details about the shop. So if your party ends up there, maybe your party gets hired to steal something from there, things like that, you've got uh, a map for it. And I'm good. I haven't read through every adventure uh, in, in uh, you know, the clockwork book, uh, but generally if there's a map, there's probably an adventure that ties to this location and they refer to it. And that's why there's a map with, with detail there. So, uh, yeah, definitely you, worth you, checking you out. go there to interact with the painted man and yeah what a great character the painted man is he's this tall fat man who smells of rare spices and i wouldn't really consider it a bad smell but you know just kind of a nice smell and that's the easiest way to physically describe the painted man no one knows his uh, true name it remains a secret and the nickname, uh, the Painted Man, has spread throughout the city and kind of, uh, you know, stuck. Uh, he wears silk robes embroidered with strange symbols and, and always paints his face in a foreign style. He's friendly and outgoing, but he's also evasive. And he speaks without a trace of an accent. He reveals little while observes intently. So he may spend some time as you're walking around his shop just watching you, seeing how you interact, what items uh, you interact. He's very interested in, you know, absorbing as much uh, information uh, as possible. Most claim that the painted man has lived in Zobek for decades. You know, there's one story that calls him an exiled member 
of a cabal of eunuch arcanists from a distant land. They once served at the emperor's court, but fled into exile after a failed coup attempt. And supposedly, the painted man is one of only eight surviving conspirators, biding his time as he peddles his powers and continues his dark studies. It's an open secret that if you need magical assistance of any kind, from arcane to divine, to even illegal sorts of dark sorcery, place to go is the painted man shop. He will always help for a price. Common magic may require money or goods, uh, but the more potent effects demand more outlandish costs. So, you know, if it requires some sort of material component, he's going to require you to provide that. He also likes to trade. And if it's, if it's like a, a very expensive spell, it's like, hey, I'll trade you for a, a Lichit's Flackery. And I know where you can find one. But the one thing about this guy is he may not ask for payment immediately, uh, but he always collects. I see this guy as a cross between Don Corleone and Ooh. Baron Har Harkonnen from the Dune books. When I play him, I'm going to have him float around, maybe talk in Don Corleone's voice and uh, just, just have fun with it. I don't know if I'm going to use uh, Don Corleone's voice, you know, because the book does say, he speaks without a trace of accent. Yeah, for sure. I, I like it. Uh, it's a kind of a cool idea. I, as soon as you said that, I was I was getting ideas because I'm an Italian, I'm an Italian New Yorker, so like I could totally pull off Don's voice. Right? I like it. That's a that's a neat idea. I'm sure there's other magic shops, by the way, in Zobac. This is just the one that they they kind of call out in the book and talk a bit about and have some some content around. Um, so there's no reason you can't have other magic shops. But this one definitely has a really cool feel. However, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned the Don. You, so we're, since we're going to talk about the Mafia, uh, you know what every city needs? You know what every good city needs? A good bookie. <laughs> 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 and they have one in the Lower Zobeck. It's called the Cracked Coin. Uh, and it's basically just this you know, little cozy building, two-story building. It's a money-lending establishment, as we'll call it. It's a money-lending establishment. Sounds very legit, doesn't it? Uh, it's, but it's built in the same style as the other businesses in Lower Zobac. Uh, the inside, however, includes several secret rooms, uh, including a hidden vault and a sub-basement in addition to the business space in the first floor and a living space. Now, again, this is another location that they put a map in the book for. Uh, with you know numbers uh, for all the different rooms. There's a lobby, a counting room, the vault, the barracks, the lounge, the terrace, the apartments, the private vault, uh, the kitchen, and the black storage. There's a whole bunch of defenses on this place, glyphs of warding, and all this stuff. And I love it because, and I, maybe I talk about these too much. Maybe it's because my players have just absolutely devastated my mind as a DM. But this is where we're doing a, a, a heist, man. Like, we're breaking into the <laughs> vault. And not the regular vault, but the private vault. That's yeah. where the good stuff is. Like, if you wanted to do something with uh, – if you wanted to take um, – oh, what's the what's the official wizard's one? Not Mad Mage. Uh, Dragon Heist. You want to take Dragon Heist and, and port it into Zobek instead of Waterdeep? This place is, is it, man. Like, there's stuff to do here. This place is super, super cool. Um, so – yeah, I, I like I I want a heist. I, I want to I want some Ocean's Eleven happening at this place because it's it's definitely primed for it, right? 
there is uh, this woman there. Her name is Cassandra. She's this beautiful red-haired woman in like her late 20s. And uh, Cassandra seems to be like, um, you know, just this confident and sweet and easygoing, easy to get along with person. She basically kind of uses that uh, to her advantage. Uh, it's really a, a facade for her job, which she's just this cutthroat businesswoman. And she works with this guy named Ivan, who's this shifty-eyed, oily, self-important guy. He's the owner. Uh, he's condescending and, you know, all that. And and she basically just wants to take over. So there is some conflict between the two of them there that work together that you could even use to your advantage if you wanted to for that, you know, Ocean's Eleven style heist. So I think they actually they actually have a scenario written in here called Portray, uh, Portrayer Within. So there's definitely it's primed. It's it's prime. This place is a is a powder keg ready to blow, man. I'm, I I love this location. Yeah, yeah, and and the uh, Black Lotus. There's two adventures uh, in the Clockwork City book uh, called uh, Rebuilding a Good Man and Ripper, uh, which uh, the Panda Man mm. is featured prominently in. Those are two of the best locations uh, in Zobek. But there's one more, the Rampant sure. Roach. There is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Rampant Roach is on the border of Lower Zobek, uh, just a few blocks away from the Crown Square. And it stands one of the few cobalt-oriented restaurants outside the cobalt ghetto and also the dock district as well. Uh, the owner, a cobalt named Skirtal, insists on opening his restaurant outside of the ghetto to spread his joy of traditional Cobalt cuisine to the whole city. Uh, so local kobolds working in town frequent the Rampant Roach for lunch and dinner. Uh, unfortunately, non-reptilian clients remain a rarity. And uh, Skirtal barely makes enough to keep up with his expenses. Uh, the doors open early in the afternoon and stay open just before dawn. But the business is light until well after dusk. Uh, the ambience is cozy and dark. A skirtle warmly welcomes anyone who enters. Uh, food is cheap, but filling and comes in generous proportions if the patron can stomach cobalt meals. Now, yeah. I want to play. I want to play the Rampant Roach <laughs> as a as a three Michelin star restaurant with a uh, chef that's yeah with a chef with skirtle you know kind of modeled after Gordon Ramsay you know, yelling at his uh, crew and throwing pots and pans around. Uh, but I also want to use it as a, as a kickoff. I've been dying to run a food-based adventure where all the food comes to life. You literally, when you go to that restaurant, have to fight your meal before you can eat it. Oh, that's brilliant. Dude, you know, uh, we need Toto Beast 4 now, and we can do animated food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I guess you would use like, an object stat block for it, but seriously. Oh, sure. You know, imagine like a, a Jello ooze or uh, a butter ooze. You know, I'm just dying to. Lamb shop, that's an animated club, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just dying to run a a Hell's, the 11 Hell's Kitchen type I adventure. And the, the Rapid Roach is going to be my jump off point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, do not steal that name. That's copyrighted. That's, yes. that's Clay's name. He's copyrighted that. Do not steal the 11 Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> that's too good. Yeah. Too good, man. 
So one more thing on the Rampant Roach, uh, just like the uh, the other locations we just talked about, this one also does feature a map, you know, with pinpoints and stuff like that. So I, I believe this one also is featured in an adventure. So you do have a full map in the book with, you know, locations and stuff like that. It's not a very big place. It's, you know, four rooms. It, it's two upstairs and then the cellar. So, uh, but it is there for you in case you do need it. So, but... There are a couple other locations in Lower Zobek, uh, one of which is, I think, maybe a, a very important one because we've kind of talked about it a little bit in the past, and this is where it's located, and that, that's the Spyglass and Cartographer's Guild. And if you recall, the Spyglass Guild is really, um, I mean, yeah, they, they do stuff, but it's kind of a front for the Blue House's secret police. These guys act as a secret police. Uh, so you will run into them in different adventures, but the building itself is this two-story guild house, bunch of windows on it. Uh, and on its main floor, it's got these high ceilings, open workrooms, well lit, all that stuff. Uh, and there's these setup basically everywhere. So there's this outer surfaces that are all opaque, uh, and to prevent curious pastor buyers from peering in. So you can see out, but nobody can see in, which is kind of cool. And on the main level, there's these 20 permanent drafting stations that fill the this huge central room. And there's space uh, there's space for more if they needed it. But basically, no matter the hour, there's at least 10 diligent cartographers. They're hard at work, and they're copying often stolen maps. Uh, they're drafting floor plans. They're mapping out vaults, discovered tunnel systems. They're maybe sometimes drawing legitimate maps for clients. And the whole time, they're all always keeping just this careful eye on the entrance. And then there's the upper level, which contains like lodging for guild members who might travel on business, uh, you know, things like that. The guild leader will stay there. The level also houses guard rooms, special equipment, supply rooms. Erspert is the, uh, the guild master and there are private chambers up there. And she shares with her second command, Gregory Caldos. So that's her second command. But keep in mind that Ersper, she really only answers to uh, the Blue House. So she, like, because she's the head of the Spyglass Guild, she is a spy as well. Uh, but she, you know, she has to report up to the Blue House, her only upper, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, in the Guild. The Guild House also has a secret basement that contains these docu this document-filled vault, a treasure room. And it's uh, a few like kind of strong and magically shielded cells and a scrying protected meeting hall. So again, this is one of those places that's just begging to be broken into by an intrepid party uh, to retrieve something. But be careful because you do not want to end up on the wrong side of the spyglass guild and end up in the basement of the blue house. That is, that is a place where people will go to disappear. <laughs> yeah. So, a very, a very interesting way. I mean, like I said, you think, oh, the cartographer's guild, they make maps. Yeah, they're doing a lot more than that there. there. There's some shady business going on there for the good of the city, for the greater good. I like to present it to my players as this great free city where, you know, uh, there's this great capitalism and, and people can go and, you know, it's like New York City, right? If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. It's this wonderful place where people go to to find a new life. But there's this other side to it that is just shady and underhanded and, you know, corrupt government and cults and gangs and, you know, money changing hand. There's so much going on there. And uh, the Spyglass Guild is playing a big part of that. 
which is weird. You just it's not it's not the guild you would think is doing that, and they are. So uh, I I you know wanted to definitely call out this one particular location because I could see it being an important part of an adventure and, and an important part of the city. Yeah, yeah, totally cool place. You know, I kind of look at it as like you know Q's workshop. Um, lots of uh, fun, intriguing stuff are in that secret basement. So one last place to talk about, right? What do we got? Yeah, the Wheat Chief Tavern. Let's end it on, uh, in a beer hall. The Wheat Chief Tavern is a favorite smuggler's tavern and second home of anyone who needs a thug now and then. The Wheat Chief nightly serves up strong beer and spicy food with a healthy side of information, especially from the Red Cloaks or the Cloven Nine. The collection of rogues, uh, sharpers, cultists, assassins, fences, and cold-eyed hard cases who drink at the Wheat Chief is ever-changing, but always dangerous. Now, despite its clientele and infernal connections, the Wheat Chief remains a non-violent place, surprisingly enough. And most of the time. The tavern provides a secure place to conduct uh, public and private business or just to have a meal. And that ends if people are watching for a knife in the back or fear the watch will show up. So the, when the violence starts at the Wheat Chief, it's never a simple brawl. It's murder. Somebody dies. Uh, and the killer had best have powerful friends or excellent protection because the biggest gangsters in Zobek prefer that the Wheat Chief operate under a flag of truce and they look askance at anyone threatening that peaceful place to gather and conduct business. So again, one more place where if you need a deal done, Wheat Chief Tavern is uh, where you need it to be. If you need to hire a thug uh, to uh, help you out with something, another another uh, option uh, for your players to uh, visit the Wheat Chief Tavern. So love ending on a, uh, a tavern. Like I said, I think Lower Zobek is the most interesting part of uh, Zovac, period. Yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of cool places. I like that we finally kind of, that, that the Wheat Chief also touched on the Red Cloaks. We've talked about the Cloven Nine a little before being one of the gangs. The Red Cloaks is another popular gang in Zobac. Um, so I, I like the Wheat Chief is kind of very similar to the bathhouse, right? It's a place where uh, different people can come. At, it's neutral ground. There's several places like that in the city. There are these neutral ground places where things, deals can happen and information can be had and, um, you know, a relatively safe location surrounded by relatively unsafe individuals. Right. Uh, right. So another, another neat place to visit, but lower Zobeck in general, right. Is just this, uh, like I said, I feel like it's the soul of the city um, because there there's a lot that could be happening there. I feel like it's just one of those places you have to go to, you have to visit, uh, you have to send a party because, but I mean, every place in Zobeck is kind of like that. I think at this point, it's like you, you'd be missing out if you didn't, if you didn't touch in every district, at least at some point. Right. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I agree. Now, Joe and I keep mentioning that we are going to do an episode on the uh, gangs of Zobek and the cults and secret societies of of Midgard in general. I promise you we will get to it. It's going to have to be in a future episode, but uh, we will get to it. Um, if you want to read up on it uh, yourself, there is a uh, there's good write-ups in the Clockwork uh, City book on the uh, gangs uh, of Zobek. 
And uh, we last episode, we told you about uh, the uh, book Cults and Secret Societies that uh, Cobalt Press has released. It's only available in PDF uh, right now, but you can buy the hardcover uh, through Drive Through RPG. Uh, that is also a, to me, you know, one of the must-have uh, books uh, if you really want yeah. to uh, have some good antagonists uh, in your games. Yeah. Yeah, I just got that on, in hardcover. I just ordered that a few weeks ago, and it came in. It is so good. So, so good. Yeah. But, yeah, we will we will definitely have to touch on on the the gangs and the uh the cults i think i i think we know a, a guest we want to have on to to talk about that so we'll we'll figure out when and we'll get that scheduled uh, we're going to do one more episode though on uh zobek itself uh we'll touch on the last couple of districts which is the market the temple and the pastures and we'll wrap kind of wrap up our our series on zobek and move on to some more parts of midgar which i'm very very excited to do so Stick with us and we'll get there. Well, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed it. Joe, how do people reach you? Well, you can find me on GM Toolbox on YouTube, uh, as well as TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. And I'm on Twitter at GM underscore Toolbox. Uh, and of course, you can find me over on the Midyard Adventures Discord server at GM Toolbox there. How about you? You can reach me on the Midgard Adventures Discord. I'm at Clayton Thompson, and that's Thompson without a P. Uh, that's also my uh, Twitter handle as well. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the Midgard Adventures Discord server. Um, it's an independent fan-based cooperative group that is affiliated with Cobalt Press. It's a great place to talk Midgard lore, share tips and tricks, answer questions, and we also offer organized play games, both online versions and uh, some IRL groups in a few locations around the United States. Our community is open to everyone, particularly those new to Midgard and role-playing games in general. Uh, we also have a dedicated channel for that Midgard show on the server where you can post a comment and talk about the content of the show. Uh, you can also hang out there with uh, other fans of Midgard in our Mead Hall or all the other channels available. You know, there is adventure channels, there's lore channels, uh, you name it. Um, so there's an invite in the server uh, available down below and, in, and for those that listen to us on podcast uh, in the description. Um, if you have a comment, Join us on the uh, server and uh, comment on uh, content on the show. Tell us uh, how you use the lore and uh, if there's anything unique that you bring. Uh, we are gathering a, a bunch of comments, and we will have a segment on a future show that will uh, read, read comments, uh, also answer uh, questions that our viewers have had. So check us out. Yep, and then we also have our Twitter account for the Midgard Show. It's at that Midgard Show on Twitter, so make sure you hit us up there and follow us. And, you know, if you like our show, please click on the like button, subscribe to our channel. Uh, we're also on all major podcast platforms, so please subscribe. Leave us a comment and a five-star review if you can. We've absolutely loved all of your feedback and your comments. We really appreciate it, so thank you for supporting us. Uh, and, you know, even better, just spread the word about that Midgard show. So remember, guys, as Wolfgang Barr says, strip it for parts and make it your own. Thank you for joining us. Take care, everyone. 